Good morning. Man, it's great to see you all um, here in the house of the Lord on this, the first weekend in December. As Matt said a little bit ago, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, So, so glad that you opted to come and spend some of your morning uh, with us. And uh, listen, our hope is that you leave here most impressed with the person of Jesus Christ, of whom we just sang. And um, my name is Kondo. I I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors here. And um, this morning, I have the amazing, amazing privilege um, of starting a a new series uh, of messages over the Christmas season uh, that we are calling A Bigger and Better Christmas. And um, listen, that is not because we believe Mission Point has the bigger and better Christmas. Let me tell you what the heart of this series is for the next four weeks or so. The point could not be simpler. We want to affirm the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is bigger and Jesus Christ is better than whatever you are hoping for or whatever you are running from. Jesus is bigger and better than whatever you're hoping for this season or whatever it might be you are running from. Whatever thing you think having more of will bring more joy or more fulfillment, God says Jesus is better. Whatever thing you are afraid could go wrong or could devastate you and the world in which we're living and the instability we're experiencing for many of of us, those things are increasing. And what God would say is Jesus is bigger than whatever it is that you might be fearful of or maybe even running away from this Season. God has already won the whole Christmas comparison contest. He's already given the best gift. He's already hung the brightest light. He's already offered the greatest hope. And that is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So for the next four weeks, we just want to agree with God in making that declaration. Jesus is bigger and better than all else. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, at our small group, um, one of the guys in our group was leading, and uh, he reminded me of uh, an age-old illustration that I think I had forgotten slash blocked out of my memory because as a college student, I'd heard it so many times, I grew weary of it, and so I just kind of blocked it out until he reminded me of the illustration again. So listen, if you happen to go to a Christian college in the era in which I went to college, be prepared to be reminded of an illustration you might Um, have tried very hard to forget. But the illustration is about a trick that is used to capture monkeys. Yeah. So anyway, for those of you who are not aware of this, let me tell it to you. Uh, There is a very strange and fascinating trick that is sometimes employed by hunters who want to catch a monkey. And it's simple. They will put some kind of a heavy, immovable box fastened down and they'll make a little hole in the box. Hole big enough for the monkey to fit its hand through. And then in the box, they would put some really enticing, appealing piece of fruit. So said monkey would see slash sniff fruit and they would head over to this box that's fast 
fastened and they would stick their hand in the hole and then they would grab a hold of that piece of fruit. Now the design of this trap is that the monkey could get the hand in but could not get the handful clenched out. Hence the trick of the trap. Now here's a fascinating thing. While the monkey is grabbing that fruit, trying to grab, pull it out, the hunter starts to make his slow and steady approach towards the monkey with club in hand to proceed with the clubbing process. Fascinating thing, monkey sees hunter and monkey refuses to let go. Now, if you have a personal relationship with this particular monkey, I bet you you'd be off in the distance just yelling like, hey, hey, monkey, hey, hey, listen, listen, live to fruit another day, brah, or something, but let go and live, man. But without fail, monkey will cling onto said fruit, even to the point of death. How dumb are monkeys, which is the moral of this particular story. Oh, by the way, congratulations to us. We broke an all-time record for spending about $4.5 billion to grab a hold of more stuff over Black Friday weekend. We're so cool. Um, And during this time, by the way, men were brawling in malls over stuff. Women were grabbing a hold of stuff and throwing children to the ground to get a hold of a vegetable steamer. Because, boy, we love our stuff. We have become convinced that the more stuff I have, the more hope I have, the more stuff I have, the more security I have, the more stuff I have, the more stability I have. And we will hold on to our stuff even If it kills us. And we'll see that in a story here this morning. And what I believe our God would speak into our season and into our hearts. Jesus is better than your stuff. Let it go and live a little. Check that. Let it go and live for. If you have a copy of the scriptures, join me in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a fascinating story in which God, through Jesus, addresses the issue of stuff. The issue of stuff. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start reading at verse 17. And and if you don't have a copy of the scriptures physically, uh, they're going to be up on the screens. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back by the information center. Please go grab one. If you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Hang on to it. Uh, Our gift to you, we would love for you to have that. But we're going to read Mark Chapter 10, starting at verse 17, and we'll make a number of pit stops to make some observations as we work our way through this story, because that's what this is. It's a a story of an encounter that Jesus had. Verse 17 says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal 
life. Now, this is a strange scene that opens this story up. Jesus and his crew are headed out of town somewhere when out of nowhere comes a guy who's apparently traced and tracked Jesus down, chases him, and then falls at his feet in a groveling posture. That's not the strange part about this scene. Now, we're not technically supposed to know this, but this guy, probably in his early 30s, We'll find out a little bit later, spoiler alert, in the story is loaded. This kid is stinking rich. Your 20-year plans is like it's, it's Friday morning. He is living what you are dreaming about. He has all the stuff you can possibly imagine. He is loaded, which is what makes it really, really fascinating Because in that culture, and it's true in all culture, rich people don't bow in a begging posture. People bow begging from the wealthy. And yet here he is groveling. On top of that, um, other versions of this same story seem to suggest that this young man was part of the royal family. He was a ruler, a powerful ruler of some sort or another, which makes this really interesting because I picture his security detail, his entourage just standing at a distance, baffled by the scene they've never seen before. Usually people are bowing in the presence of his power. We've never seen him bow in the presence of anybody else. And so this scene is really fascinating. This young guy, cover of Forbes magazine, fastest rising young millionaires in Jerusalem, who might be a royal ruler, is bowing at the feet of Jesus, which raises the question, what would make a powerful, rich, young guy grovel at the feet of a relatively poor rabbi? Because you know, Jesus wasn't sporting those Gucci robes. But yet here he is. Well, thankfully, we don't, again, have to guess. We are told, apparently, this young man is haunted. He's plagued by a question. In fact, he's plagued by a question that should plague each and every one of us. He's plagued by the most significant question anybody could ever Ask. And so he's heard rumors that there is this guy in town, this guy around the region who is able to answer the question and silence this plaguing, haunting restlessness in him. And so he gets his people to trace Jesus, stalk him, and finally find him. And here he is at his feet asking his question. And the question is simply this. Um, then what? That's this rich kid's question. Then what? I mean, okay, say I live 85 really good and very comfortable years. Then what? I'm I'm a powerful dude, but even I know there is something I have no power over, and that is the grave. I am going to die. Then what? 
Now, please don't misunderstand me, Jesus. I am set for this world. In fact, I have enough stuff and security to last me several 85-year laps around this world. But then, what? Even I know I can't take any of my highly trained security detail beyond the security checkpoint of the grave. None of my stuff goes with me. And it's making it really hard for me to enjoy any of my stuff right now. But most importantly, and as we go through the story, we figure out that this young guy is educated in the biblical teaching. And most importantly, he seems very aware of the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell beyond the gates of this life. That there is an eternal paradise of pleasure in the presence of God. And there is this eternal prison of pain in the absence of God. And once we die, we go to either one place or the other forever and ever and ever and ever. And I cannot sleep. Because I don't have the assurance that I will spend eternity in the paradise of God's presence. As much stuff and security as I have for this 85-year leg, I'm not sure that heaven is my then what? And so he's groveling at the feet of Jesus, haunted by the most important question. How can I be sure that heaven is my then what? That is a crucial question. That is a question every single one of us must settle. And by the way, until you do, you better find somebody to stalk Jesus until you get an answer to the question. But but right from the start of this story, we learn uh, uh, something really important about stuff that is so good for us to hear, especially as we kind of go between Black Friday and Christmas Friday here in a few weeks. And I think the truth that emerges is this, earth stuff can never provide heaven security, ever. Earth stuff can never provide heaven security. The most important question of the soul can never be settled by the greatest amount of stuff. Right? I mean, if the guy who has everything that this world has to offer is plagued by the then what question of eternity, we have to at least agree that the most important question you can ever ask can never be answered by any amount of stuff you ever own. No influence, no power, no palace, no mansion, no promotion, no nest egg can assure us of paradise in the presence of God. This is so good for us to hear, by the way, because if our hope is in something that we might acquire, something that we might acquire more of, something somebody might give us, something that we might finally grab a hold of this Christmas season, I bet you this guy would ask you the question, then what? 
Let's assume you win the brawl at the mall. Let's assume you successfully wrestle the kids down and you grab the vegetable steamer. It's yours. Let's assume you finally get the promotion that you've been putting in those 75-hour work weeks for. Let's assume you get it all. Then what? Because no amount of earth stuff can give any amount of eternal assurance. Does your soul have the assurance that heaven is your then what? Now, thankfully for this guy, he is asking the right person. He's in the right place. If anyone can answer the the eternal, most significant plague in question of the soul, it's Jesus. Good call. However, Jesus is a master at giving very underwhelming, uninspiring answers. And he's about to do this again. Really, really impressively unimpressive in his response. Look at what he says. Verse 18. Um, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Wait, what? I'm bearing my soul. I am asking you about eternity and you are talking to me about adjectives? No, yep, yep, no, no, I heard the question about eternity. Good question, uh, by the way. But let's go back to what did you call me? Um, I called you good teacher. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, Now, why? Why'd you call me that? Why'd you call me good? Why'd you call me perfect? Why'd you call me flawless? Why'd you call me, as we might say, holy? Why? Why'd you call me that? I mean, talk about adventures and missing the point, right? Except this is precisely the point. Precisely the point. And Jesus makes it. He says, listen, nobody fits the description you just gave. Nobody fits that criteria you just used to speak to me except God himself. So let me answer your question with a question. Are you saying you believe I am God? That is the point. Because the answer to the question, then what, depends on the answer to the question, why good? Are you saying, I am God? It's a significant question. Once again, it's a question all of us must answer. Is Jesus God or Is he just some impressive teacher, some elaborate miracle worker? That's key because what Jesus is about to ask this guy, and listen, what Jesus is about to ask all of us requires we believe he is God. Otherwise, it makes no sense. I'm telling you right now, if you don't believe Jesus is God, what he's about to say makes no sense. He knows that. And so he asks this guy the question. Now, interestingly, again, after asking him this question, Jesus doesn't even give him a chance to answer it. He moves right on. And we'll see why here in a second. Look at verse 19. He says, 
you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, uh, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. Verse 20, me, 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 yes, you. Teacher, teacher, interrupts Jesus. Doesn't even let him finish. Um, he, uh, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. I've kept those commands. A, he's a liar. Um, that's not true. But Jesus doesn't press the issue. Jesus could have. Wait, so you're saying you've never mouthed off to your mother? Mm. Saying you've never had a lustful thought about a woman who's not your wife? Mm. Hmm. You've never lied? Hmm. Till now? Hmm. <laughs> this would have been a great time for this guy to say, um, I've messed up, I do not qualify. And Jesus would have said, yeah, that's why I came. But anyway, he doesn't do that. He lies. And says, I've done that. Check. Next. And Jesus could have said, you are lying to me right now. Could have indicted him, could have judged, could have condemned, but he doesn't. Look at what Mark tells us. First part of verse 21. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's going to be so important for us to come back to. Jesus' heart breaks for this man because he is so close to Jesus and so far from heaven. Like many of us who've been around the church for years and years and years and we know all the right answers and we would put up our hand in any Bible quiz, so close to Jesus but so far from heaven and Jesus is about to prove it. He gets right to the heart of the matter. Look at the second part of verse 21. All right, sir, you have everything great, but you lack one thing, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. And follow me. At this, the man's face fell because he had lots of stuff. The man's face fell because he understood what Jesus was asking him for. I want everything and Nothing less. Jesus tells this guy, if you want the assurance of paradise, you must give me the rights to everything you have. That's what Jesus tells him. I want exclusive rights to decide what happens with your stuff. I get to decide. If you keep it, I get to decide if you give it away. In fact, challenge number one, I say give it away. Trust me with all you have. Sign over your stuff to me. That's what Jesus says to him. And I'm telling you, if he's not God... That's a lot to ask for. 
And in one of the saddest stories in all of the scriptures, this man chooses his stuff over his soul. He holds on even when he knows it will cost him his soul. See, because he wants the privilege of God's salvation, he's just not willing to give up the rights to his stuff to get it. So he refuses to trade 85 years on this planet for an eternity in God's presence. How about you? What would you do if you were this guy and Jesus made this offer? If, if Jesus offered this deal to you? I'll give you eternity. You give me everything. I'll give you my salvation. You give me the rights to all of your stuff. Would you do it? I mean, would you give up all your stuff to follow Jesus? I mean, we've established, right? No amount of stuff can give you any amount of security for any part of eternity. So would you give it up? I mean, your house, your cars, your phone, which houses your precious Instagram account. Your cable, your management track, your stock options, your heirlooms, your retirement plan. Would you, would you give it up if Jesus said, I want everything? I hope so. Because that is what Jesus asks for. In fact, that is the gospel. We love to say, ooh, that's a rough story. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't ask everyone to give up all their stuff. That's not true. He always asks everyone to give up all of their stuff. He may not always ask you to give it away. But he wants rights to everything always. Look at the way the gospel is presented. In, in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Look at, at, at what it says. This is Jesus, right? He says, then he said to them, all, not some, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You want to be my disciple? You've got to give me rights to everything. It's mine now. We like to make that sound like an exception story for people with a lot of stuff. But it's what Jesus asks of all and whoever. Your stuff is mine and I get to say what happens with it. You want paradise? That's the offer. I want everything. Would you do it? Or would you monkey grip it 
at the expense of your own soul. Now, let's pause and make a couple of quick um, observations, a couple of quick points. Because uh, I know for some of you, especially those of you who are theologically minded, you're having a rough time um, with this, which is fine, I can live with that. Uh, but I still think it would be good to make a, a couple of observations. Here's the first one I think we've got to note before we move on. Um, Jesus doesn't need your stuff. It is so tempting to read this and say, yep, Jesus always wanting my money, always wanting my stuff. That's why I don't go to church. (laughs) Come on. That's such a ridiculous excuse we use when we don't want to give over our stuff. Jesus doesn't need your stuff. Matter of fact, he doesn't ask this guy to give him the stuff. He asks the guy to give it to the poor. And tells the guy to come with him. You come with me. Your stuff, give it to the poor. One time Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. Look at this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't need your stuff, but he does want your heart. He just knows <laughs> That your stuff and your heart are so vitally fused. Where one goes, the other goes as well. And you know that my heart is so often wrapped up in my stuff. My security is so often wrapped up in my bank account. My sense of self-worth is so often wrapped up in my cash flow. Jesus isn't asking, give me your stuff because I need it. He's saying, give me your heart. Because I want it. He just knows you can't give him the rights to one without giving him the rights to the other. And some of us have tried and Jesus is not impressed. I'll tell you what, Jesus, I'll give you my heart, but I'll keep my stuff. How about we, we, do, we, do, we do that kind of arrangement and I'll give you pieces of myself and I'll keep other pieces? You know, we can kind of divvy it up and he says all or nothing because your stuff and your heart will come together. Jesus isn't needy of your stuff. Second um, quick thing, Jesus does not bargain. One of the chilling things in this story is that when this guy walks away, Jesus lets him go. Jesus does not bargain. Jesus doesn't say, oh my goodness, okay, 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 okay. let me go back and talk to my manager and see if we can bring it down to 75% and we can make this, uh, this deal. And we say this all the time in the church circles, especially about people who are influential or people who are good looking or people who are talented or people who have a lot of stuff. We'll say stuff like this, like, oh my goodness, can you imagine the potential if they would only get saved? Potential to what? Oh, they would be such an asset to Jesus. Really? I mean, Jesus should have closed the deal. This guy could have been such a kingdom asset, plus his royal connections and the networking. Jesus could have had a cash cow. He could have been rolling in Gucci robes if he had just changed up his plan. But Jesus will not bargain. He will not negotiate. He will not beg. He will not ask for any less than everything. 
and he was willing to let this guy go away. He wants everything or nothing at all. But this young man was hoping apparently that he could have heaven and keep his rights to his stuff. And when he realized he couldn't, he was out. And the whole time he knew he was making the wrong call. Drops his head, takes his stuff, and walks away. Jesus apparently is not surprised by this man's response. He actually suggests that this is a typical response for people with a lot of stuff. And people who are obsessed with having a lot of stuff. Look at verse 23. It says, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. And of course they would be. If Jesus, the miracle worker, is saying something is hard, you better perk up and pay attention. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Even when eternity is on the line, people with a lot of stuff or a lot of security in stuff will not let it go. Because they've become convinced, again, their safety and their security, their well-being is wrapped up in this stuff. Therefore, their heart is wrapped up in this stuff. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for people with a lot of stuff to let it go and live forever. Such a powerful picture of our culture. Such a powerful picture of our culture, especially around this time of year. But then Jesus says what we want to see most clearly before we leave. And he says, it is so hard for people with a lot of stuff to let it go and live. But it is so worth it. Because, as God would say, and I'm convinced as God would want us to know, Jesus is better than stuff. Look at verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. And listen to what Jesus says. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, they will receive eternal life. I love that. As this story wraps, what Jesus is saying to Peter and in response to his concern is, listen, if I ever ask for any of your stuff, it's only because I want to give you better stuff. 
If I ever ask you to give me everything, it is always because I want to give you more than everything. Everyone who gives up everything to follow me, Jesus says, will be given more than they ever gave up. I will not accept any less than anything, but I will not give you any less than at least a hundred times whatever you gave me. I don't have to be a mathematician and neither do you to know that is a good deal. We often approach the gospel from one place or the other. Either we'll say, Jesus wants everything, so give it all up, the end. Or we'll approach the gospel on the other end and say, Jesus wants to give you everything, so take it. And Jesus says, no, it's both. I'm not asking you to give me everything so I, because I need it. I'm asking you to give me everything so you can make room for my better than everything. I'll give you at least a hundred times what you gave me. Plus on top of that, eternity, paradise, forever and ever and ever and ever. That is a good deal. Jesus is better than stuff. And we know this if for no other reason because A, he made my stuff. Did you know that? That all the stuff this guy refused to give up to follow Jesus was stuff that Jesus made? I'm just telling you. If the stuff maker says give up the stuff so you can go with me, that's a good deal. I'm telling you. You can either have a snack pack or you can have a chef. Take the chef every time. You can either have a briefcase of money or you can have a money printing press. I'm saying take the press. That's a good deal. That's all Jesus is saying in the gospel. Give me your very little and let me give you my everything more. He made the stuff that we obsess over and hold on to. And he says, follow me. Oh, but what if I never have stuff? I'm the stuff maker. Jesus is better than stuff. And he's better than stuff because he's the stuff multiplier. He will multiply my stuff. He says, if you give me all you are, I promise I'll give you more than you can imagine. Not only on this earth. This a hundred times stuff here on earth. I want to figure out what it is because I want some. I want some land and stuff and I don't know if I want any more like brothers, you know, but, you know, I do want to find out what this is all about. If I said to you, I'll give you $3 million for the keys to your car, I bet you you would give me the keys right now, unless you're not a smart person. Jesus is saying that, give me your earthly little stuff and I'll give you a hundred times more and then I'll give you eternity on top of that. That's a great trade. Jesus is better than stuff. Listen, this Christmas season, there is an offer on the table that is better than stuff. The only question is, will you make the deal? Will you make the trade? In fact, when, the reason we, we called the series what we did was because somebody was telling me about this game that kids play, the, the bigger and better game. It's you take something and see if you can't keep trading it, trading it up until you get something absolutely massively ridiculous. That's the offer on the table. Jesus is saying, I, I, I love you. 
I love what he says. He loved the guy. He didn't condemn him, didn't indict him. He loved him, meaning he wasn't trying to take from him. He wanted to give to him. In fact, Jesus would give his life in order to be able to secure paradise for us. That's how much he loves. There's an offer on the table. Give me everything. Trust me with everything. Give me the full rights to your life, and I will give you hope and eternity forever and ever. And for some of us this morning, that's the offer the Spirit brought us to church to maybe for the first time accept. For some of us, maybe we thought we accepted Jesus' terms, but we accepted a portion where we still kind of live 30% for him, 70% for us. Jesus says, I'm not interested in anything less than everything. And for some of us, today's the day we say, I'm all in, Jesus. I've been holding on to my stuff and thinking that somehow I can drag my stuff with me. And Jesus is saying, I want everything. And for some of us, this is the day that we say, I'm all in, it is all yours. The question is, will you make the deal? Will you make the trade? I want to show you a simple prayer. Um, and our hope is, uh, as you see this prayer, uh, that you, you look at it. Because sometimes people say, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm like, but I don't know what you're going to say. If I'm going to pray with you, I want to know what you're going to say. And, and this is a prayer we want to invite you to pray. Jesus, I give you full rights to everything I am. I believe that you are better than all I have and that you will save a place for me in paradise. Amen. And what we're saying is if you can pray this prayer, whether you're a believer or you're not, if you can make this declaration, then let's in a minute here stand up and pray this out loud together and then watch out for multiplying stuff. Watch, I don't know how you slept last night, but watch out for the assurance of knowing that you're then what is paradise in the presence of God. But for some of us, this might be the first time we get to pray these words. And if you pray these words for the first time in faith, I want to say welcome to paradise, welcome to life, welcome to walking with Jesus. Why don't we stand together? And um, let, let's pray this. In fact, there's a number of people, um, a prayer team. If you guys want to come up front, I really appreciate that. And listen, after we pray this, if you have questions or you just want somebody to pray with um, and talk to, um, these folks will be up here um, for you. And, and frankly, if you have anything that you just want to pray with someone about, the prayer team will be glad to do that with you. But listen, if you are able to make this trade, and maybe you've made the trade, praise the Lord, but you want to reaffirm this trade, then let's pray this out loud together. You ready? If you're not, please don't feel any pressure to. Jesus, I give you full rights to everything I am. I believe that you are better than all I have and that you will save a place for me in paradise. Amen? Amen. Listen, maybe you've prayed that for the first time and you want to talk to us. would love that. Or maybe just make a note on your card before you drop it off in the information center so we can follow up with you. But church, we want to experience Jesus as better than all. So please, let's dismiss quietly. We'll have some music playing. And if you need to come up and pray with one of the team members, let's do that right now. Otherwise, we're dismissed. God bless. We'll see you next week.